Welcome to the sermon podcast of St. Matthias Anglican Church in Katy, Texas. Today's sermon was delivered by Father Jason Grote. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. In terms of the church year, today is the one and only Sunday in the season that we call Ascension Tide. And that's because Ascension Tide is only 10 days long. If we remember, the Ascension of Jesus happened 40 days after the resurrection. And that's what we celebrated this past Thursday evening. And Pentecost, which simply means 50, happened 50 days after the resurrection. And we'll be celebrating that next Sunday. So Ascension Tide consists of those 10 days in between. And these 10 days were 10 days of tarrying for the disciples or waiting to describe it with a a more modern word. It was during this time that we remember Jesus saying to his disciples, Tarry ye here in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. The disciples had to wait on the Lord on this Sunday after the ascension. And so it's common for us to think about our own waiting on the Lord during this ascension tide. And that's why I often refer to this Sunday as Waiting Sunday. When we consider the topic of waiting, or if we think about what we can label as in-between times, those times can perhaps be the hardest to face. If we think about what we call the waiting room in a hospital, it can be excruciating, sitting, not knowing what's going on behind closed doors, hoping and praying that whatever procedure is happening is going well. If you were ever summoned to the principal's office at school, like I often was as a child, you know that sitting outside the office waiting or outside the office waiting was not a good time. The in-between of jobs is often more stressful than a job itself. Not knowing when the next job will come, not knowing how the bills might be paid. But waiting or living in those in-between periods doesn't always have to be negative, as I've described it thus far. There's also a waiting of expectation, a waiting that explodes in happiness when you realize it, like a child on Christmas morning. There's a waiting of a birth of a child whose joy is like no others when when the birth finally happens. Or maybe there is the waiting of a wedding. That period of engagement when the great date just can't get here soon enough. And if we really think about it, waiting has always been a theme with God. We talked a bunch about this in Sunday school this past spring. Abraham had to wait 25 years from the time of God's promise until he finally had Isaac. Later, we find a 400-year period of God's people in Egypt before God delivers them. After after leaving Egypt, we have a a 40-year period of waiting for the second generation to go in and to inherit the promised land. We have several millennia between Genesis 3.15 and the gospel promise being fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. So waiting is certainly not a foreign concept when it comes to the scriptures 
or when it comes to God working out his plan in time. One of my wife's favorite verses even involves one of those infamous passages about waiting on the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, as I was preparing for this morning, I came across Psalm 130 in my reading. And this psalm coincided so well with the theme on which I had anticipated preaching that I thought I would direct our attention to it. And if you have your Bibles with you, you can open those up and read along with me if you want to. Psalm 100. And since it's not a very long psalm, permit me just to read the whole psalm for you. And then we'll zero in on the middle of it. Psalm 130 reads, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. It's quite a soothing psalm. Mentioning mercy and forgiveness, and hope, and love, and redemption. And overall, on an individual sense, you you gather the imagery of a man who is in the midst of some sort of struggle, one whose situation is, is perhaps overwhelming him. And while the psalm itself doesn't state who the author was or what the situation was, it's actually suggested that this was Nehemiah, and that he wrote it during the time of Israel's captivity. And if such is true, then this is a psalm of a faithful man who is crying out as a representative of God's people whose sin has caused them to be carried away captive, who have lost their city, who have lost their temple, who have lost their identity, and are now slaves to a foreign and pagan king. And this psalm finds its words from a heart that is resting solely upon God. And although the psalmist recognizes that there's a a time that must be endured, a valley, if you will, that must be walked, yet there is no doubt within himself that God would redeem and restore. Now, regardless of the situation, whether it was a man crying in his own personal situation, or whether it was a psalm regarding the, the whole of God's people in captivity, the crux of the psalm remains true. And it remains true and applicable even thousands of years later in our own day. Look again at verse 5 and 6. And these are what stood out to me and spoke to me in my preparations. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. The imagery here is that of a, a night watchman. Not the night's watch from Game of Thrones, but yet similar. The psalmist is referring to a watchman who is posted in a position on the city's wall, keeping watch in the darkness of night for any sign of movement and attack. 
They know that under the cloak of darkness, the enemy attacks. They know that during the late hours of night, the people sleep. They know that in the absence of light, the danger is heightened. So what must they do? They must watch carefully and diligently. Their eyes have to be fully opened. Their minds have to be fully alert. And so these watchmen do as their name implies. They watch and they wait for the morning. They wait eagerly for the morning, for the passing of the darkness, so that they might see more easily. And when that morning comes, they rejoice for the safety of the past night, and they relax a bit more in the surety of the newly found light. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they watch for the morning. I say more than they watch for the morning. Now, during this time, during this waiting, during this nighttime darkness, what does the psalmist hope in? And what enables him to wait and to watch. Well, verse 5 says, it is the word of the Lord. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I do hope. And this isn't a reference to the scriptures per se. And surely there could be a case made that this refers to the word of God proper, meaning the incarnate Jesus Christ. But ultimately, and in its simplest understanding which the psalmist would have been expressing in such a simplistic psalm, is the unfailing promise that God makes. God says it, therefore God means it. God promises it, therefore it will come to pass. God's word and promise. And that word and that promise is this. God will make his presence known in your midst. And don't think of it simply in some objective sort of way. God won't just make his presence known in the sense that people will just see his glory. What I mean and what the scriptures show is the personal aspect of that. God will make his presence known in your midst, directly in your life, directly in your situation. Why? Because you are his. Throughout the Old Testament, we hear the words repeatedly, I will be your God and you will be my people. And I've often said those are the covenantal words, that, that that's really the whole theme of the scripture summed up in just ten short words. We are God's people. And God cares for his people. And his presence he will make known amongst his people. And what greater picture of that is there than the Redeemer himself? Jesus Christ, who is the second person of the Godhead, very God of very God, who came and dwelt amongst us, that in him he might draw us near to him. That is God being our God, coming to us and providing for us his people. And that's our hope. That's our hope. That's what we wait for, even as the watchman waits for the morning, which he knows is coming. And that's a key to this. He knows morning will come. He knows that the Lord will fulfill his word just as the rising sun will come. Do you see where I'm going with this? Do you hear these psalmist words being spoken to you this morning as they spoke to me? In your time of waiting, there is no doubt of God's presence. And there is no doubt of God's word and promise. God's word is faithful. 
God's promise will come to pass. God's care will be there. God's power will be manifest. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I do hope. We pray that God's spirit has spoken to you and blessed you today through this sermon. If you would like to learn more about St. Matthias Anglican Church, you can visit us on the web at www.stmkaty.org.